Welcome to the Do Good to Lead Well podcast. If you're passionate about mastering self-leadership, then you're in the right place. I have always been curious about and fascinated by the pursuit of leadership excellence. This is why I pursued my PhD in psychology with a specialization in business, and I've continued to dedicate my career to understanding the science and practice of positive leadership. My name is Craig Dowden. I'm a best-selling author, award-winning keynote speaker, executive coach, and member of the Forbes Coaches Council. Each week, I'll bring you world-class content on the science and practice of positive leadership. Through my conversations with best-selling authors, TED speakers, and top CEOs, you'll be able to leverage their insights and experience so you can maximize your potential and be the leader the world needs you to be. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Do Good to Lead Well webinar series and podcast series. Uh, my name is Craig Dowden, and it's an absolute pleasure to welcome you here today. Really excited about this conversation. And as always, love to provide some context uh, for where this came from. In my role as an executive coach and keynote speaker, I have a lot of wonderful opportunities to speak with best-selling authors, top CEOs, global CEOs, uh, like our guest today. And so what I wanted to do was open up that conversation to a broader community. And so we could have a really important discussion around leadership and positive leadership in particular, and how to make a positive difference, not just in our own lives, in the lives of the organizations we're a part of and the communities that we're involved in. And so I couldn't think of an any better guest uh, to join us today as part of that mission than Howard Bahar. And so just to give you, I will not be able to do this justice. And I, I wish it was days long because there's so much to extract from it. I have my copy of, I have the hard copy of It's Not About the Coffee. And I have my ebook copy of The Magic Cup. Uh, so he is a best-selling author, keynote speaker, and top business CEO, global CEO. Uh, his career in business spans over 50 years, all in consumer-oriented businesses, covering several industries. He retired from Starbucks Coffee after 21 years, where he led both the domestic business as president of North America and was the founding president of Starbucks International. During his tenure, he participated in the growth of the company from 28 stores to over 15,000 stores spanning five continents. He served on the Starbucks board of director for 12 years before retiring. He's currently a trustee for the Sherry and Les Biller Family Foundation and is on the advisory board of Anthos Capital. He formerly served as a board member for Starbucks, Gap, SureGuard, University of Washington Foundation, and ID Tech, just to name a few. He's committed to the development and education of future leaders and has been a longtime advocate of the servant leadership model, which I'm really excited to dive into. And on top of all of the extraordinary things he's accomplished as an executive, as I mentioned, he's a best-selling author and keynote speaker of It's Not About the Coffee and Magic, The Magic Cup. Welcome to the program, Howard. Thank you, Craig. It's great to be here. Well, it's uh, it's 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 awesome to meet you, and and certainly I had lots of interest in terms of our conversation. And so, when it came to writing both of your books, and they're just uh, I could open almost any page here 
and there's highlights people who know me i highlight so what was it that were the was the core motivator in terms of you authoring these books well you're looking at a guy that barely got out of high school so my english teacher would never have said that my name would appear on a book unless i'd written it there myself i had <laughs> two people that i worked with at starbucks one was the head of marketing for international and another one was a consultant that worked with us and they kept telling me i need to write a book I used to have a wall filled with quotes, and they said, you got to write a book about all these quotes. And I kept a file that eventually got about eight to 10 inches thick of just ideas and notes for the past 40 years. And finally, I said, okay, let's write a book. And, uh, but you're the ones that have to write it, and that's how it got started. And then they both got busy, and I ended up getting somebody to help me write it. So I'd like to tell you that I was the sole author. I wasn't. The ideas are mine, but, but I had to have a lot of help. Well, I think that's awesome. And, and did you mail a copy to your <laughs> high school teacher and say, hey, look, I've, I've written a book? So. Unfortunately, she'd already passed away, but oh. I could have. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's just so much in there and so much that I'd love to cover. And one of the core messages that you do cover and in the book that I just mentioned, and it's in the preface to the paperback edition, you talk about leading in hard times, which certainly is is where we are today. So what I'd love to start with, uh, Howard, I the question you open with, you, you said a critical reflection question is, are you being true to yourself and your values? And I love that that's a, a topic you continue to come back on in different ways. So can you share more about this and why it's so important, especially not just in day to day when we're leading through tough times? Well, you know, the it's it's the most important thing you can do because you need to be you in, in any leadership position. It's We talk a lot about it today, being authentic self, right? And that that is critical when you're building a team and you're working with a team because the only way you can be your authentic self is if you build trust. And that means that you always have to tell the truth. And the, and the truth has to be aligned with your values. Who you are as a person and everybody in the organization should understand who you are, what your values are, how those values inform the actions and the decisions you make in, in life and in work. And so it's particularly important in difficult times because if you don't have trust in any time, it's hard to make any gains, but particularly in difficult times, people totally have to trust each other and they particularly have to trust their leaders that they're telling them the truth and that they have their best interests at heart. So. It's, it's really, that's where it comes from, is this idea that being yourself allows you to, to build trust, and building trust gets results. Mm. Well, and I love that linkage that you make, and, and in particular around during difficult times, because as you say, without trust, what, where do you go? And it's so important because people are looking to you in terms of what decisions you're making and how they're making. And so one of the questions that I get asked routinely and, and, and talk about with executives and aspiring executives, so it's great that we're chatting, is that, so how do I figure out who I am? Sometimes it seems like, you know, this question that, well, shouldn't we all know? And sometimes people struggle. So what advice would you have for people in terms of figuring out their values and who they are? Well, the way I'll give them the way that I did it. And I, you know, I went and got a list of 300 words that represented human values. And I started on that list and I started checking the ones that, you know, didn't fit me and, and putting a circle around the ones that I felt represented who either I was or who I wanted to be. Because you're not always there, you know, it's, it's a journey. 
So over time, I got it down to 50. And then the goal was to get it down to 8 or 10. And once I got it down to 8 or 10, they were written down. I defined what they meant to me. It didn't mean that the other 50 weren't important, didn't play a role in my life. But these are the 8 to 10 core values. So my first core value is honesty. And uh, I can't always tell you that I was honest in everything I did in my life, but but over time that I I you know I I made sure that I lived up to that value, and even when it cost me, I would live up to that value. And you know I have a quote on my office wall: "Only the truth sounds like the truth," and that that quote has has driven me. But you have to write them down, and you have to define what they mean to you. Because if I went around to your whole audience and I said. Are you honest? Everybody would probably say, yes, I'm honest. But when we dug a little deeper and I might say, okay, what would you tell a white lie about? Right. And, right. We'd all have, you know, we've all told white lies of some form or another, you know, no matter how small or sometimes big, but, but it, it's, you have to define what those values are and, and they have to be written down because if they're not written down, then they're just wishes, hopes, and dreams. And then I, had, I created a mission statement for mm. myself. My mission statement goes like this. Every day I want to nurture and inspire the human spirit, beginning with myself first and then for others. So that drives me in my life. And so those things have all been written down and I carry them around with me no matter where I go to always remind myself who I am, what I stand for, how I make decisions, you know, and that builds trust. Well, and there, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, oh, that's all right. Go ahead. No, and, and what I love about what you're sharing, Howard, it's so powerful because as you say, start off with the 300, you know, winnow it down and then you get to the eight to 10. And I think, and it's just so powerful around, well, then how do you live those values and, and how you talk about defining that? So behaviorally, how will people know um, that, that we're honoring our values? How will we know that we're honoring our values and also love the point around, well, and asking ourselves, you know, the white lie question or those uncomfortable questions. Yeah. I think that is such a powerful self-insight. Well, we've got a question already, uh, and I'm not surprised. <laughs> so Scott was wondering, have your values changed over time? Uh, for the most part, they've stayed pretty constant. Um, but, you know, I might have defined, probably where they have changed is how I've defined them. You know, what what I was willing to do. When I say the word that one of my core values is give trust before you get trust. You know, I had to practice that and learn that and decide that that's what it was going to be. And because a lot of people don't give trust, you know, don't uh, trust others until others trust them. And, and I think it's the opposite way. And I had to learn that skill over time that I was willing to take that risk and trust others even before, you know, that I just gave it before I, uh, I trusted them. Mm. Well, I think that's such a great point around, you know, leading by example. Well, if I want you to trust me, I have to, I have to trust you first. Um, and, and have another question uh, from Alan, who's wondering, sometimes I struggle in terms of love that your, your, your first value is, is honesty. And sometimes Alan struggles with speaking up and speaking the truth. So, any advice around, so how do you go about that? Because the fear of the, the consequences loom large, it sounds like. <laughs> well, if, if you say that honesty is your most important value, then you have to live to honesty. And that means there are going to be times when you're uncomfortable. The time There's going to be times when you're taking risks. 
I used to tell people all the time, you got to be willing to bet your job every day. You can't live a life of fear. You can't, you, you can't live a life that you're going to lose your job if you tell your boss the truth. That's not a place you want to work. And so, yeah, absolutely. We all have that. We all have those fears, you know. Now, one of my, I, I joke about this all the time, but, you know, my wife comes home with three new dresses on. She wants to model them for me. And then she asks the question, do any of these dresses make my butt look big? <laughs> Let me tell you, you know, in my early days of my marriage, I would say, no, honey, they don't. None, none. Now, I may have thought one did, but, but now if I don't like it, I tell her because I've learned that's what she really wants. And sometimes she doesn't like the answer, but she always knows she's going to get the truth from me. Right. That's uh, no, that's, that's, that's amazing. And, uh, and I really like the idea around, Hey, I have to be prepared to risk my job every day to speak, to speak up, to speak my truth and let people know uh, what's going on. Uh, Tara loved uh, the process. So thanks you for sharing the process really valuable and was wondering, are you able to share a couple of more of your values really interested in what's further down the list? Sure. Uh, love, love of self and others. Uh, uh, trust, give trust before you get trust. I call it caring like you really mean it. That means that they care even when it costs you. Mm. Uh, 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 um, the other one is integrity. Wow. Yes. Right. And so it's all of those go to make up Howard. And they all, they all, I, I don't have it with me right now, but I have a, a sheet that has, I call a picture of Howard in 50 words or less. And I carry it around me. It has, starts with my mission statement, my core values, and then what I call my six Ps, which are how I live my life. What an awesome, and again, this is why I was so excited to speak with you and, and the thoughtfulness uh, that you have around. And the other the other piece that I wanted to acknowledge, and this just came in in a comment as well, is around, love like i think right out of the gate right the top two the first one you lead with is honesty and then right after that is love and so some people sometimes get a little squeamish around well love and emotion right within within a, a within a workplace within a work environment so talk to us about like what that means and why it's so important and and what benefits you've seen that it that it brings to the table when we are when we do create a culture of of love and respect well, it's not the love. It's not the same love that you you have children that you love those children. This is a this is a love because these people are human beings, and because they're human beings, they're worthy of love, and love and respect. And so, I, I uh, love. Yeah, people are uncomfortable with love in the workplace, but 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 loving people, right, enables enables you to care about them more. Because you realize that be just be, they are human being and they're worthy of that love because they are human being, and and you have to express that love. And the way I think about expressing that love is how you treat them when there's a conflict. Hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. That, that yeah. not in a blame game. You're not in abuse. You're not in a yelling, screaming mode. You're in a love mode. That you realize that these are human beings. They're worthy of love and they're worthy of being being treated with respect. One thing I like to say to everybody, you know, you go out and you hire people and you bring them into your organization and you, you love them. You're excited about them coming in. You know, we love what they're going to contribute. And then they find out that they don't live up to it and they have to move on. 
but you got to love them as much going out the door as you loved them coming in the door. Right. Mm. And so it's, it's, I know that some people are uncomfortable with that word, but, but if you think about it in the context of humanity, yeah. then, then it, it kind of settles down that we, the way, the way we move the world forward is by loving each other, by trusting each other, treating each other with respect, caring about each other. Absolutely. And there's so much in there. And one thing that I want to acknowledge, because I think, and this is a point that's so powerful and so important, and I would say, especially in today's you know, age, is that I've had the amazing good fortune as well to speak with Alan Mulally, the former CEO of Boeing, commercial airplanes and Ford Motor Company and within his working together. Sorry? He's one of my favorite people. <laughs> I'm not surprised because, well, as you'll know, right? And this is why I want to make that point. You are at the epitome. You are globally recognized as a business and leadership icon. And here we are today talking about the importance of love and what I, and, and, talking about Alan and the working together management system, his first principle is people first, love them up. And I think it's so inspiring for me, for our conversation right now and linking it with others that this just isn't, you know, well, this is a good idea. This, the, you know, you have achieved more than anyone could possibly just in the bio, the, the short bio that I mentioned at the beginning, Look at how, and that's what I am so excited about, is that look at how that philosophy of love, and as you describe it, Howard, respecting each other's humanity and who we are and what we're about and what's important to us, how that drives just exceptional achievement when we when we create an environment in which that flourishes. I'll give you a great example. Okay, we all know Microsoft. Well, Microsoft was led by two really hard-nosed guys, Bill Gates and Steve Ballmer. And they were yeller screamers, and they could be abusive to their people. If they thought their idea wasn't right, they'd call them stupid. So, you know, and for a long time that worked, the highly competitive environment, but then it didn't work, and people were leaving because they didn't want to be treated like that. And, and eventually both Balmer and Gates are gone for different reasons. And a guy that steps in is uh, – uh, is, who is now the CEO, was at, actually at Microsoft. And he, he changed the whole, turned the whole thing on its head. And he said the single most important skill any leader has to have at Microsoft is empathy. Right. Wow. Which goes, and totally right. changed the business. We went from a stock that was depressed, wasn't going anywhere, to a high-flying company again that people want to work at. And right. it works. Or Uber, the guy that ran Uber wasn't exactly a nice guy that started Uber. Was he smart? Yeah, we're not talking here about, yeah, he was smart. He wasn't He wasn't um, emotionally smart. You know, he didn't understand people and he abused people and eventually he was gone. And mm. Uber struggled ever since. Mm. No, you're so right. And I, and I love that emphasis on building that, that culture and respecting each other's humanity. I think that's so, so important. We've got another question and comments coming in already about how just loving your answers and your perspective, Howard. Uh, Emmanuel was wondering, have you ever felt discouraged, you know, in terms of either someone's reaction or dismissing the idea of creating a more positive environment? And so, any advice around how to how to keep going and, and how to reframe and, and, and keep pushing through? Uh, if people resist that idea, 
um, of, of love and, and, and respect in the workplace? Well, you just keep practicing it. Right. right? People model what you do, not what you say. Mm. And you just keep practicing it. And then if that's the, if that, you know, every organization has a culture. The question every leader has to ask is it the culture they want? And how do they know? And so if you want a culture of love, you have to practice love. And then you have to say, this is an expectation here. And you have to define what it means. It's how we treat each other that expresses love. Do we abuse each other? Do we, do we put each other down or do we build each other up? Do we help each other? Do we assist each other? Do we have to take the credit or, or can we always give the credit? And so it's those kind of, it's the little things that matter and, and they build over time. And so, yeah, I've, I've been in organizations that didn't, wasn't, weren't like this. Absolutely. And I've worked with people that weren't like that. I used to report to a guy that every morning he would come in and he would say to me, hi, you dummy, how you doing? Well, you know, after a while, I, it didn't sit well with me. This is where I got my job. He came in one day and he did that. And I, he was about six foot four and I'm about five ten, you know. So he was towering above me. And I just looked at him and I said, don't you ever, whatever, I won't say the word, say that to me again. Three weeks later, I was fired, but that was okay. Right. Well, back to honesty and uh, well, and holding on to our values. And I know, and that's something, again, that I find is so wonderful about what you share, right? When things aren't aligned with our values, because you share the story as well. Hey, if you leave a job because it's not aligned with your values, you're not a quitter. This isn't bad. This is about honoring who you are and tapping into that. I think that's such a powerful way to frame that. Yeah. And so there, uh, you touched on this. There's so many great quotes throughout the books. This is one that, uh, that I just absolutely loved. And you said, I know from firsthand experience that there's a large gap between the wisdom of knowing what's right and the wisdom to do what's right. That's almost an hour long conversation for me. Like I just thought that was absolute genius. Can you talk about that? And what what creates that gap between knowing what, what to do and actually then doing it? Fear. Fear. Fear, fear of rejection. Right. Fear of making a mistake. Um, uh, fear of failure. Right. Uh, it, that's, what, that's the gap. And you have to overcome that fear. I have another quote that I love that addresses kind of the same thing. Think like a person of action. Act like a person of thought. And, uh, you know, I used to struggle with that one, but I, and I still struggle sometimes with it. But, you know, there's a point in time where you have to act. Mm. You have to overcome the fear and you have to move forward. Mm. And sometimes you make a, a, a mistake and you have to correct. You know, today in today's world, young people call it pivoting. You know, we didn't call it pivoting there in my, in my time. You know, we call it making a mistake and having to change course. But. But, you know, it's, uh, you know, that's, it's fear that it's keeps us. And I've got a question and that's so, such a great point. And, and Allison jumped in and love that, that you highlighted that and the impact of, and the negative impacts of fear. What are the ways that leaders, what are things leaders can do to build an environment where they really minimize fear? So what can we do to, to, just really lower the temperature on that? Well, uh, it's, you know, we hire great people and we bring them into the organization. I call it, 
and we should let the personal sweeps of floor should choose the broom. Well, in that process, somebody's going to choose a wrong broom. So it's how you act in that time frame. You know, no, no human beings gives you what you expect. We always, it's always, we're human. We are, we never are perfect. We're never in a, always in alignment, you know. And you have to have lots of uh, forgiveness in your heart. You know, you don't play the blame game. You, can't, you play the learning game. What did we learn? Not you're at fault, but what did you learn? Right. And, and we support our people. That doesn't mean if somebody makes the same error four times in a row that you don't hold them accountable. It's not my point. But it's how you hold them accountable. Mm. Right? Are you a yellow screamer? Are you, do you treat them with love, respect, and, and dignity even though they screwed up? Or, or do you blame them and, and create fear? Mm. And, and, and so if, if, if you treat them well you uh, and care about them and don't get in the blame game, right? then, then that takes care of itself. Mm. Well, and I love that. Howard, in terms of just that that piece around accountability and caring for, loving for, pe for people, respecting them, they aren't competitive. They are quite cooperative. So we can, and sometimes, and it's interesting, I find people think, oh, well, you know, if I'm nice, I don't, I can hold people accountable and be nice. And and I, and I, what really resonates with what you're saying is, that, no, these two things go together. And in fact, they are necessary because if you really go after someone, as you say, you're a yeller and you're a screamer, you belittle them, how are you going to get the best out of them? It's Well, it's, it's just like you know, these same principles, by the way, apply at home. These are not work principles. These are life principles. So you go home and your spouse has made a mistake. Does it work to yell and scream at them? Does that build on your relationship? Right? It doesn't. If you're If you're constantly in the blame game, then it doesn't work. And I know that firsthand, right? right. <laughs> yeah, and, and so, and I, and I continue to screw up sometimes, but, but, uh, but what works is love and forgiveness and, oh, you dented the car, no problem, we can get it fixed, right. you know? Well, and, uh, and, and one of the other themes that I find as I, as I read through your, your books uh, is that what I love is that, because in a lot of cases, People discuss kind of, okay, within the realm of leadership. So as you say, so let's build a loving culture for our people as leaders and then talk about gratitude. And you, you, you discuss a lot around that and everyone needs recognition. What I really find is, is awesome and impactful in terms of how you look at things, Howard, is that then you, you include self in that. It's always self and other. So can yeah. you talk, share with me, because I think that's just a brilliant insight. You talk self-love. You talk about yeah. self-gratitude. Where did that appreciation come from, and, and how do you see that manifesting in terms of just how we can be at our best and support others to be at theirs? It's one of the most difficult things to do in your life is to love yourself unconditionally. And I'm not, I'm not going to sit in front of you or your audience and tell you that I've conquered it. I haven't. And, but I work at it. I have a quote in my bathroom, you know, and I, it's, it says, love yourself unconditionally, or I love myself unconditionally. And I figure if I can love myself unconditionally sitting on the toilet, I ought to be able to do it anywhere. And so it, but it's, it's a, that's a journey. That's constant reinforcement. You know, I have another um, 
um, one that I that I try to live by. I am enough. I have enough. I do enough. Mm. These both of them are affirmations, and that I've had for a long time. You'd say, "Well, shouldn't you be able to get over those affirmations and go on to other ones?" No, not these two. These okay. are they're endless. You know. Well, and 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 that's another piece I really appreciate is that it's a lifelong process. It's about yeah. being open. It's about yeah. expressing curiosity with ourselves and with other people. I think that's just so absolutely um invaluable in terms of our own development so i've got another question um from from david and who was wondering what has been a big shift in your leadership style throughout your career what's one thing that you where you pivoted and what led to that pivot um probably the, the difficulty in my early years of uh thinking that uh that I couldn't hold people accountable. Mm. That caring, if you cared about people, that you couldn't hold them accountable. But just like you said before, it's not either or. You can care about people and hold them accountable. Servant leadership is much as much about performance as, as it is about serving people. And so it's that that journey. Getting comfortable with speaking the truth, holding people accountable in serious conversations, but it showing them that you loved them and you respected them. Mm. Well, uh, absolutely fantastic. And uh, so as a Canadian, <laughs> and there are Starbucks all across uh, our great country. I loved your story around. So just that introducing Starbucks into the Canadian market and in particular kind of giving that that autonomy, if you will, or that 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 collaboration. Can you share a little bit about that story? Because I just think it's such because we've had examples of global businesses trying to break in and they haven't been successful. And Starbucks definitely has been. Can you share a little bit about that? And also what enabled you to take that approach? I just think it's such a, a really awesome uh, perspective. Well, I mean, you know, <laughs> People are people no matter where you go. We may have different cultures. We may say about and about, you know, differently, but, but, uh, or garage and bear, whatever. I mean, we came Canada early on in Starbucks history. It actually, Howard had opened up a store in Vancouver before I even got to the company at a little place called Seabus and in Vancouver. And it was the ferry. A ferry dock and so you know and we you know we what's interesting Seattle is a Pacific Rim city Vancouver is a Pacific Rim city we had a lot in common with the two cities and it kind of made it easier on us it was more difficult going uh, east for us but over time we understood and when I, I retired once and I came out of retirement and at that time uh, Canada, the, the geographic regions of Canada were reporting the same geographic regions in the United States. And I said, we can't do that. Canada is its own country. It needs to be run by Canadians in Canada. And so I made that change. And it, uh, I said, I used uh, the Martin Luther King's quote, free, free, free at last, right? Canada, you're free at last. Go for it. And, and they did. And it's incredible the job that they did. By understanding there are differences and people have to have pride in what they do. And Canada has been an amazing success story for Starbucks. But but we treated people the same wherever we went. 
with respect and dignity. It doesn't make any difference what the culture was. You know, you always get respected at Starbucks. And what I, again, this is, I, I, I want to highlight this is so strongly because what I find is remarkable, because if you look at other examples or other individuals who would have that opportunity uh, where they'd say, well, why would I give up control or power or this or that, right? Like I'm going to, and I love that what you're talking about is, no, this is the right thing to do for the people in our organization. And this will drive much, much higher engagement and will deliver much better results for all of us. So what enabled you to, to let that go and, and make that larger than self decision i just think it's such a because for some people they say oh well i i don't want to let right i don't want to let control or that power go so what enabled you to be able to 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 recognize that well when i first came to starbucks i i said to everybody everybody should get to vote in their own area of expertise people didn't understand that so i changed it to the person who sweeps the floor should choose the broom so that's exactly the same thing in Canada. Who knows better about how to operate in Canada than Canadians? <laughs> Nobody does. So it's in your self-interest to get out of the way. Yeah. You give them the resources. You give them what are the expectations, what are, what are the greater purpose of the organization. Give them, you know, and then and give them help when they ask for it, but get out of the way. You hold them accountable. It didn't mean you didn't hold them accountable for their commitments, but you let them get out of the way. You get out of the way. That's and that works. And I've seen it time after time after time after time. I'm not a kid. You know, I'm almost 78 years old here. And I've made lots of mistakes in my life and my leadership career. But one thing I've learned is when you let the person who sweeps the floor choose the broom, they usually, if they don't like the broom that you've given them, they'll go find a better broom. And they'll make it even better. And that's what happened in Canada. It happens everywhere. I think that's such a wonderful uh, reminder and a powerful example about what happens when we let go. And as you say, I love that. There's so many great quotes. Yeah. You know, the person who fle sweeps the floor chooses the broom. Uh, I think that's fantastic. I have another question um, from Yaniv, who was wondering, so because you, you accomplished so, so much through your career with Starbucks. And so uh, when you started, what was your vision when you initially started with them? And then what was the one thing, if you can identify it, that you really kind of drove into the organization that fueled that success um, that, that you experienced? So would love to hear those things. From almost the day that I got there, for some reason, I recognized that, that we, weren't, uh, we weren't in the coffee business, we were in the people business. And I coined this phrase, that we weren't in the coffee business serving people, but we were in the people business serving coffee. Sounds like a small play on words, but it became critically important. They still talk about it today. And that's what I drove. I just believed it with all my heart. You know, every entrepreneurial organization thinks they're in the business of whatever product or service they provide, but they're not. They're in the people business. And the product or service is, is, is it important? Yeah, it's gotta be good, but it's really secondary to, to people. And so that's what I drove inside of Starbucks. So if you ask me what I left behind, it was that. And I used to say to, to people in the organization, I said, we need to president-proof this organization. Right. And, uh, you know, and that's what we tried to do. And were we successful at it all the time? No. But, you know, help, help your people grow 
you know, here's the equation. Grow the people, the people grow the organization, the organization grows the business. Uh, so that's simple. It's always about the people. I don't care what you think it's about. It's about the people. Right. <laughs> well, and another, and this is such a beautiful segue to another question I, I wanted to, to, to discuss with you, Howard, is around... You say the most powerful question that you can ask someone is, why are you here? Yes. You talk about that. And, and, and for some, I know, you know, working with different executives and founders and co-founders and, as you say, business leaders and entrepreneurs, they may struggle and or not answer that question. So can you unpack that for us uh, and, and, and discuss why it's so important and how we can figure that out? Well, um, you know, that's the most important question is why are you here and why are you doing what you're doing, right? What is your greater purpose? Mm. You know, and when I was interviewing people, that was one of the questions I would ask is why are you sitting here in this office? And I, I didn't care so much what the answer was. I wanted the authentic, I wanted to feel like they were being truthful and they were authentic with me. You know, if somebody came, well, you know, because Starbucks is the greatest company in the world, I'd always say, well, how do you know that? What, why do you believe that? And, you know, you always would dig deeper. It's never a yes or no question. So um, it's, it's that why the, it is the element. Why are you doing what you're doing? Because something has to get you up in the morning. Right. Well, and you talk about, and again, it links back to the love uh, around the connect between emotions and goals and so right. can you, can you sh unpack that a little bit as well in terms of so how the best goals are those that are the most emotional if you will well I here's let me explain it to you this way I have what I call my six P's it's how I live my life the first P is purpose everything I do in my life has to have a purpose greater than myself it has to be about serving others because I think that's the only reason any of us are about put on this earth is helping others, whoever it is, with your family, with your, you know, in your workplace, whatever it happens to be. The second P is passion. If you have a purpose for yourself, then you darn well better be passionate about it. Your emotions better be there. Everything, all your energy should be driving towards that, mm -hmm. towards, you know, the achievement of that greater purpose. If you get those two aligned, it's amazing what you can accomplish, and it's amazing what happens in organizations. If people in the organization understand what the greater purpose of the organization is, and, and you can get them to put all their energy, their emotion, their passion towards achieving it, it's incredible what happens. Mm. Well, and and you mentioned uh, that you're such a, you know, a, a passionate advocate for servant leadership. So can you share with us your journey towards servant leadership and, and, and what that means to you and then, uh, and, and what got you interested in that initially in terms of uh, the, its impact? In my early years as a leader, I had, I had this innate uh, uh, feeling. Yeah, sorry. No, yeah, that's, uh, that's guy. The real life that happened. Sorry. Yeah, well, I know. I just, I want to be able to talk, so. He's liable to come into my living room and blow the living room. So uh, anyway, uh, so uh, 
remind me again. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. No, no. That's, uh, I was talking about uh, your journey to servant oh, leadership yeah. and what it means to you and why it's so important. Yeah. So I, when I was in my early 20s, I had an, an unconscious uh, belief in serving people. It was family of origin stuff. Mm. And I, I didn't understand it. I, I was just doing it. I, I, was, I was an unconscious competent. I was right. competent at doing it, but I didn't know what I was doing. And so somebody gave me this little pamphlet by Robert Greenlee, who, who coined the term servant leadership. And I read that little pamphlet, and the aha moment came. Oh, this is what I believe in. This is, this is the language I want to use. You know, and this is why. And so from that day forward, I began, began a journey of learning all about servant leadership and understanding what it meant and how it worked and how it didn't work. And my goal was to be a conscious competent. In other words, that I understood what it was about and I could teach it. And servant leadership at its core is this understanding that leaders are not there to be served, but leaders are there to serve. Mm. And so when you get that right, it's again, the results are incredible. And lots of leaders think that they're there to be served, but they're not. You know, they're not. And uh, they're there to serve. And the, you bring somebody in the organization, and if you help them get what they want out of their life, if you help them grow as individuals, grow as professionals, then they'll help you. Right. They'll right. help. And that's the, that's the basic context of servant leadership. And everybody thinks that servant leadership is mushy, it's soft. It's not. It's also. It's about performance. It's just how you get that performance, not on the backs of people, but with people. And I'm so glad you made that point because, and back to the the either or from before. You know, we do this or do that, and and I and I really appreciate Howard that throughout everything that you write about and speak about and how you live and how you lead, it's about. Well, it's how you go about doing that, and you don't have to sacrifice one for the other. It's being more thoughtful, being more intentional. Bringing more human humanity to our day to day and respect, I think that's just fantastic. I've got another question from Justin, who was wondering, like, what do you think are the key qualities that leaders need to have to be successful today? Number one, empathy. Mm. Uh, they need to be humble. They need to be authentic. They need to be vulnerable. Uh, they need to have high expectations. They need to be able to good communicate effectively the greater purpose of the organization and the values of the organization and they need to hold be able to hold people accountable in a, in a loving way awesome that's a mic drop answer right there uh really appreciate that and uh got another um question from adam who's really enjoyed that list and then said i've had I have high expectations and, and, and big dreams for what I want to accomplish. And sometimes I feel a little <laughs> the fear, the F word that you mentioned earlier. And so how do you, you know, how, how any advice for how I can stay true to that and not lose sight of, of, of my big expectations? Right, write down what your goals are. Have a plan. If you don't know where you're going, any path will get you there. Write down your values, write to have a personal mission statement, have a plan. And that includes your values, your, your personal mission statement, and how you want to live your life. And then live to that. And I always believe in using affirmations to help you uh, drive your, 
drive yourself. And two of the affirmations I told you before, I love myself unconditionally, and I am enough, I have enough, I do enough. And other affirmations, always use affirmations that are in the completed form, not someday I will, but I am. And, you know, look, everybody has fear. I've dealt with it myself. I have, I'm an original anxiety holder, you know. Anxious. I'm. I'm 78 years old. I got nothing to be anxious about. I'm still, you know, and uh, it's, it's just part of life. And you know, we kind of have to. We drive through it, and we hold ourselves accountable, and and then get support. You don't be afraid to ask for help when you need it. It's it's people. Leaders think they have to have all the answers. They don't have to have any answers. They have to. They have to have great people that can give them the answers. I never saw myself as the answer guy. I, as as wasn't who I was. Howard Schultz was much, I thought, much more creative guy than I, I was. I'm the alchemist. Right. I'm the guy that went out and asked people what they thought. I take those disparate ideas, put them together, and the solution came. But they weren't my solutions. They were the people's. And and so you know you don't have to have all the answers. You can ask others. You can ask your you know, your board, your your friends, your, the people you work with, the people that report to you. And it's amazing what will happen. Because mm. you'll, you'll, you'll get rid of that fear that you have to have every answer. Well, and, and I love that you, in, in the answer to what qualities do we need, that you started with empathy and then you add, and then immediately afterwards you said humility. And I love everything that you're talking about in terms of how, asking for advice, asking for help, being open, you know, just connecting with great people around you and then bringing all of that as you say in the alchemist and bring all of that information together. I just think it's such a, and especially in a world that's moving so fast with such rapid change and things we've never encountered before, how important those qualities are. I think it's, uh, it's just absolutely bang on. Uh, what's, Sam was wondering, what's the best piece of leadership advice you've ever received, and what's the worst piece of leadership advice? The the best uh, the best piece of leadership advice wasn't advice; it was a it was uh, an interaction I had with another human being, and I was a fairly young leader. I was about thirty years old, and a young woman that reported to me came into my office, and she sat down across the desk, and she started crying. And I got out of my chair, I grabbed the Kleenex, I went around, I put my arm around her, and I said, don't worry, it'll be okay. She about ripped my head off. Because she wasn't sad, she was mad. It was, uh, and her tears were of anger, not of sadness. And I misjudged, and I learned from that day forward, never assume. Wow. Never assume, always ask the question, what's going on? What can I do to help you? What are you What are you feeling right now? Mm. You know, and because and I I have never forgot that as long as I've lived. Wow. I never assumed that somebody was feeling or thinking. I always asked them, and so that that was not didn't come as a form of advice. It came as an interaction, but it was great advice. You know, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, the worst piece of advice. Uh, Single worst piece of advice. Well, it was more modeling than it was advice. Okay, right. It was it was um, from the guy that I reported to that 
his name was Erwin Greenwald and the guy that came in and he always was putting people down. Mm -hmm. And I watched what it did to people. And from that day forward, I said, I'm only going to put people up. I'm, as Spencer Johnson or, or Ken Blanchard says, catch people doing the right things right. Right. And what are some of your favorite leadership practices, things that you've, that you've embedded into your leadership journey and daily practice that you find have. And I love that earlier that you mentioned, Howard, that the small things, they really matter. So what are some of the small uh, things that, that you have done and you continue to do that just provide exceptional results? You, you'll be surprised at this, I think, probably. If you walk, you're walking down the hallway in your office, don't walk by another person without not looking up and saying hello. Mm. How are you? When you get on the elevator in the morning, if you have an elevator in your office building and it's filled with all people, even people that work at different companies, say good morning. How are you doing today? Mm. Isn't it a beautiful day out? You know, build build that kind of energy in your life. Mm. Build it within your company. Don't ignore anybody. The other thing is another small thing that took me a lot of time was I sent company birthday and anniversary cards to everybody in the company up until we had about 10,000 people. Hand signed. They, they weren't, they, you know, uh, the happy birthday was printed out, but then I would hand sign and if I knew them, I'd write a note. How about some? And I sent up until we had about 10,000 people, I sent them out and then other people took it over. But but it's amazing. I've been retired for 12 years, and it's amazing how many people still tell me about those. Right. Wow. You know how many people never even get a birthday card? Right. Yeah. Or never, nobody ever says thank you for being here this year. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's so absolutely right. Make people human. Mm -hmm. Make them feel like they matter. No, absolutely. Well, and... And have another question from um, from Scott, who's wondering. So, what are some of the best things I can do to develop as a leader, so that I can take my leadership to the next level and have the positive impact that that you've been talking about today? Well, I'll tell you what worked for me. I read leadership books. Mm. Get my hands on, and uh, you know, not all things that I agree with, but you know, uh, Ken Blanchard stuff, Spencer Johnson stuff. Uh, 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 Peter, uh, uh, brain just went dead. Uh, I forget. He was from UCLA. Oh, Drucker. Drucker. Peter Drucker. Get your hands on Peter Drucker's book. Good to Great, Built to Last by Jim Collins. Um, uh, one of my favorite books has been out of print for a long time. Uh, is is called um, uh, Love and Profit. Ah. By uh, James Autry. Uh, I mean, there's an endless supply. And read bi biographies, autobiographies of leaders. I mean, you're going to find leaders that you disagree with, but read everything you can. You know, a Doris Goodwin's book on, on Lincoln and his team. That was a fantastic book. On, uh, on uh, it was, I think, Band of Competitors, something like that. But yeah. how Lincoln put together all these people that he competed with and brought him into his cabinet and how he made that work. I mean, so read, 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 read. <laughs> well, and and it's, it's such a fantastic answer. And 
And what I really appreciate is, is that, uh, you know, in spite of all the extraordinary things that, that you accomplished and your team at Starbucks accomplished, not just within the United States, the global expansion and everything else, that is a key, right? Keep reading, keep being curious, keep learning. Yeah. I think it's so uh, wonderful that you reinforce that message. And I still do it today. I'm, I'm reading uh, uh, Ulysses' Grant autobiography. And it's so interesting to, to listen to him, right? And the struggles that he had with his life and where he came from and all those things. And it's, you know, I, the only person I'm leading now is me which by the way, I'm the most difficult person I've ever had to lead in my whole life, you know? And uh, uh, so, but constantly be a student. Well, this has just been, this time has flown by. Uh, we're, we're almost at time. And so um, just wanted to express my profound appreciation, Howard, for, uh, and it was interesting reading the forwards to, to the books and hearing what people shared about you and how authentic you are, honest you are, humble. I mean, this has come across so powerfully during our conversation and just the passion that you have for not just leadership, positive leadership, and for a human-centered and servant approach. And it, it's just been an absolute privilege and honor. Any final words before uh, we close our conversation today and where people can find more about you? I would, hi again, cannot recommend enough checking out the, the book. As you can tell, so many great quotes and insights. Um, any final words? Yeah, well, let me give everybody my cell phone number and my email address. Uh, my cell phone number is 206-972-7776. And my email address is HB. Those are my initials, Howard B. HB at HowardBihar.com. And I, if anybody has a question or wants to talk, if they just want to complain about their boss, I'm happy to, I'm happy to listen. It may take me a little while to get back to you, but I always get back. That's, uh, well, uh, I, I can't even, uh, what an amazing gift to everybody today. <laughs> and uh, and thank you so, so much. Um, I've just gotten uh, a, a ton of positive comments, uh, Howard, and uh, really appreciate the time that you shared and your insights and your passion. This has just been a privilege for me. And uh, to everyone who joined in, uh, thank you so much for your time. And now you know how to contact Howard. So uh, you know, looking forward to uh, to continuing that conversation. So thanks so much. Take care, everyone. Bye for now. Thanks again, Howard. Thanks, Craig. Thank you so much for joining me here today on Do Good to Lead Well. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. If you'd like to continue the conversation, you can follow me on Twitter at Craig Dowden or reach out via LinkedIn or email info at craigdowden.com. I look forward to meeting you here next week for another transformational episode.